What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the craziest cult leader of them all? There's a guy by the name of Jim Jones that you might have heard of. He was embraced by many back in the 1970s and 60s and 50s, basically because of his great oratory abilities to rally people together with some of the racial equality movements here in America in that time period. From the 50s till the end of, quote, the People's Temple in 1978, Jones was seen as a beacon of peace across the racial divide and a leading advocate for socialism. In fact, I found it very interesting that as I was analyzing his life, along with many others, really since Jesus, he is included in a long list of people who have declared themselves to be Jesus Christ reincarnated. But when Jones moved hundreds of his cult members to Jonestown in Guyana, where he and his followers believed they could create a socialist paradise. It concerned family members garnered by the attention of California Congressman Leah Ryan. This congressman, one article speaks about how he sought to investigate this matter, whether this, these cult members were being held against their own will as many of their relatives and family suggested. While Ryan traveled to that country and city to meet with Jones, he was ambushed on the plane by the followers and was died by being shot repeatedly in the body and face. Fearing retribution for the congressman's death, Jones led 918 followers. Now, I want you to understand this was before Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all the social media. Today, you can have, if you want a thousand followers, you just go buy them. It's really that simple. But understand this, that, that when Jones was alive, these were more than just followers on social media. These were, he was actually an influencer. That is, he had following, and he was able to influence that following to do things that maybe they did not want to do or should not have done. So he led 918 followers into a mass murder-suicide known as the Jonestown Massacre on November 18, 1978. If you've heard this story, you know that most of them die by drinking cyanide mixed with Kool-Aid. And the so-called reverend, however, died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the craziest cult leader of them all? We could talk about Jim Jones and Charles Manson and many, many others throughout a long list of people who have declared themselves to be Christ reincarnate. But we know that going back to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that there will be many who would come saying, I am Christ. Many that would come saying, I am Messiah. I am Jesus. 
reincarnated. And in fact, in 1 John, John writes another letter and he speaks about how the spirit of Antichrist was even at work in the days 2,000 years ago, around 90 AD, when John was alive. And he said that one day, the Antichrist is going to pop up on the scene. And today, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 speak about the rise of the Antichrist. But today, I want to just label the title of my sermon with this thought. The craziest cult leader of them all. And we know that the craziest cult leader is not Jim Jones, not Charles Manson, not any of these other crazy people, but is Satan himself. And in Revelation chapter 13, we see that John continues his his recording of this drama that began in chapter 12. But this time, he focuses on two evil characters that symbolized in the form of a water monster or a sea monster or a sea beast, a sea creature, and an earthly beast or an earthly monster, an earthly creature. These both symbolize the, the final corrupt political leader known as the Antichrist and the corrupted religious figure known as the false prophet that will come to this worldwide prominence before the return of Jesus Christ. As we come to Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, understand that this passage is really going to be a lot of information about the future. But, but we need to understand that when John was writing this, he was writing this to be a circulatory letter to the seven churches in the Asia Minor region. And so the verses, the verses 9 and verse 10 are verses that we can really glean from an applicable and application standpoint. So today I want to just share with you one key thought of application. I'm going to share other things with you today. It's more information. But here's what I want you to walk away with today. God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. That's the message today. We literally could close up the Bible and walk away after hearing that statement. And if we would just apply that to our lives... I believe we would see a transformation and revival break out in the world. God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. We know that that there will be people that will rise up and and claiming to be a messenger of Christ or Christ himself, but really, in all reality, they are wolves trying to devour the sheep. They are imposters. They are pseudo-Christ. They are anti-Christ. And all of these characters are leading up to one day the world seeing the greatest antagonist in human form. And in fact, Revelation chapter 13 is is the enemy's unholy trinity trying to combat the holy trinity of God. You have Satan himself, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet making up the unholy trinity, going against the holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The question that I want us to answer and ask today is this. What does Revelation 13 teach us about the coming Antichrist? Well, today I want to share five thoughts with you. But keep in mind, the main thing I want you to walk away with is God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. That being said, I want to draw your attention to verses 1 and 2 of our text. In verses 1 and 2, we see the first thought about the Antichrist from this passage. Now, I want you to understand this. If you want to really study who the Antichrist is or or will be, we don't know exactly who he's going to be. You know, many have tried to to say it's Obama, it's Trump, everybody has a theory about who the Antichrist was. But when one day, 
all the world will finally know who it will be. But if you want to understand what Scripture says about the Antichrist, you need to read Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11. You need to read Matthew chapter 24. You need to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you need to read Revelation chapter 13. Those are the key passages that the Bible highlights this coming beast or ruler named Antichrist. Now, in verses 1 and 2 of the book of Revelation chapter 13, Here's the first thought that I want to share with you about the Antichrist. I'm just going to share five thoughts about the Antichrist today. There's so many more we could highlight. But the first one is from verses 1 and 2. The Antichrist will be used to attack the plans of God. The Antichrist will be used to attack the plans of God. Have you ever played chess before? There's several different pieces on the chessboard, but the most common piece is a pawn. It is at the forefront of all the pieces. Now, those are not the key pieces to winning the game, but they can be used to help protect the king and queen and advance to win. And today, I want you to understand this. We are either God's chess piece or Satan's chess piece in this world. And we see that this Antichrist, this beast that is arising up out of the sea, is just a tool that is going to be used by Satan to try to thwart and change and go against and oppose and attack the plans of God. In fact, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and Daniel chapter 7, verses 19 to 27, speak about how the Antichrist is going to, be, is going to come out and is going to try to seek to attack the plans of God. Now look at verse number one. The Bible says that John is now seeing this. Now remember, he, he is receiving a, a new, in a sense, vision within this whole vision. And in chapter 12 and 13, many parts of the book of Revelation can easily be interpreted literally, but these two chapters are definitely meant to be interpreted figuratively or allegorically because the Bible makes it clear especially back in chapter 12 and so we see that the Bible says and he stands now John is standing on the sand of the sea and he's looking at the sea and he sees this beast rise out of the sea and this beast is the Antichrist and notice the Bible says that he has that that having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. Now this goes back to the, to the book of Daniel. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, you know that there's going to be these ten world empires or nations that are going to be around in the world in the coming of the Antichrist, and there's going to be a little horn that Daniel spoke of, and out of that little horn within the ten is the Antichrist. And then the Bible speaks about hey, these, these seven heads. We believe these are the seven major world empires since the days of the Egyptians. So you have the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, you have the Greek Empire, and you have Rome, and then you have the coming empire that will be alive and well in the days of the Antichrist. A lot of speculation about who that will be. But the Bible says that, that the main part about this character is the thought of blasphemy, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But in verse number one, it speaks about how he's going to rise up and he's going to be a man who blasphemes God. Now, in verse number two, the Bible speaks about this beast that John sees is like a leopard. It has feet like a bear, and it has a mouth of a lion. 
Now, it's interesting that the usage of the term beast here in the book of Revelation, sometimes it speaks about, about the systems of the world or the nations and the kingdoms of the world, and then sometimes it speaks about a character. And so what is being referred to here is, is Daniel's vision going back to, these, to, the, to the lion and bear and leopard and beast, where the lion is the representation of Babylon, where the bear is the Medo-Persian Empire, the leopard is Greece, and then the beast is Rome. And so we see that out of the nations of this world, one day a leader will be made or come out of the scene like unlike any other leader the world has ever seen. This leader is going to top them all. It'll be crazier than, than Jim Jones. It'll be crazier than Charles Manson. It'll be crazier than, than Saddam Hussein. It'll be crazier than Adolf Hitler. The craziest cult leader of them all will be manifested right here as a tool of Satan. Antichrist. Now, it's interesting. The Bible speaks about the dragon. You go back to chapter 12, and you know that the dragon is Satan. The Bible clearly says that in verse 9 of chapter 12. But it says here that this dragon, or Satan, is going to give this beast, or the Antichrist, power. Going to give him his seat. In other words, his throne, where he's going to rule and reign. And then this beast is going to have great authority. If you think that the leaders of the nations of the world right now have great authority, you haven't seen anything until you see the Antichrist come on the scene and the, the authority he's going to have. Remember, the Bible speaks about how Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is not bound in this age right now. Satan is alive and well, and his forces are at work right now today. And we see that, that the Bible speaks about here how Satan is going to give the Antichrist this power going to give him that crown and going to give him that authority. There's many titles for the Antichrist throughout Scripture. Dr. Heinton speaks about how in Psalms he's the wicked one, and Daniel he's the little horn, and Daniel he's the prince who is to come, and, and Daniel he's the despicable person, and Daniel he's also known as the willful king, and Second Th Thessalonians he's the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. He's also known as the lawless one. At 1 John, he is the Antichrist. And in Revelation chapter 13, he is the beast. He is going to be the beast. He'll be the greatest monster this world has ever seen. And he will attack the plans of God. But it's interesting, as, as one of the reformers said, even the devil is still God's devil. Think about that. Even though the devil is going to be using this Antichrist as a pawn, he's only going to be given the authority that God, the sovereign God who's on the throne, allows him to have. And so as I read chapter 13, it might sound bleak, it might sound, sound a little gloom and doom, but, but understand that, that, that we believe that God is sovereign and that God is still going to be sovereign in the tribulational period and is only going to allow them to do what he allows them to do. Now that leads us to verses 3 and 4. The first thought comes from verses 1 and 2. The Antichrist will be used to attack the plans of God. And he is. It's the whole purpose of this ruler coming. And our world is thirsting and hungering for a national, international leader to arise in the scene to, to bring about a one world system of government, to bring about a one world system of economy, and to bring about a one world system of religion. And this guy is going to do just that. But then in verses 3 and 4, we believe that 
This teaches us the, secondly, the Antichrist will desire to be worshipped as God. The Antichrist will be, the Antichrist will desire to be worshipped as God. In verse number two, the Bible says that the dragon or Satan and the devil gives the Antichrist his power. Ultimately, we know that this goes back to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, when Satan led a revolt against the throne of God, seeking to become like God. Nobody is able to have that seat, only God. And we see that in verses 3 and 4, that this Antichrist, who will be filled with the power of Lucifer, Satan, will seek what Satan seeks, and that is for all of humanity to bow before him and give him worship. Look at verse 3. The Bible says that John sees one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Now, by the way, understand that antichrist it can mean against or like or in place of and so we see that the antichrist is going to come on the scene he's going to be against the work of christ but he's going to be like christ he's going to seek to be like him in every way possible and so some commentators believe that 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 here this verse where it speaks about wounded and note that it is the same exact word that's being used to describe jesus when he was slaughtered on the cross for our sins so that we could come to faith in him but it's the same word here being used for the antichrist and so i believe that the antichrist whether this is referring to the kingdoms of the world that will be revived like an empire like rome was in the days of john will be resurrected something like that or it's about the antichrist stays and mimicking a resurrection himself we don't know we'll know in the future when it all transpires but we do know that in every way shape and form satan is going to try to mimic christ and then the bible says that his wound will be healed and the bible says that that the whole world will wonder or stand in awe and amazement of this beast and then verse four just as daniel prophesied in daniel chapter 11 and just as Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 how that the Antichrist will oppose the work of God and he will declare himself to be God and demand all people to worship him. We see right here in verse number 4 that they worshiped. It means to literally bow down in complete reverence and, and ascribe worth to not just the Antichrist. The Bible says that they are going to bow down before the dragon or Satan himself who gave the power to the beast. As Paul said in the books of Corinthians, how that when they are worshiping these false gods, they are actually giving sacrifice to demons. And behind those demons, we know that they are being, they are being agents of the force of darkness as Satan's tools. So here's the thought. You're either on God's team or you're on Satan's team. There's no middle ground here. You're either serving almighty God with your life or you're serving Satan. That's it. In fact, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So Jesus' words coincide with John's words here in this text. And we see that you're either worshiping God himself or you're worshiping the devil. So we think about Jim Jones getting like a thousand people to drink cyanide mixed with chlorine to die. I mean, Kool-Aid to die. We know that he was simply a tool used by Satan Just like the Antichrist is going to be a tool used by Satan. And this tool, this time, it'll be worship like like the world has never seen worship before. And they will be worshiping Satan. And the Bible says that they they also worship the beast. So as they worship the beast, they're actually worshiping Satan. And then it says, they're going to say these. They're going to say these things. Who is like unto 
the beast, who is able to make war with him. In other words, they say there is nobody in the universe that's like this, this, this beast, this antichrist. And who is able to, to stand against him and defeat him? Nobody can. The Bible speaks about how he will be a very charismatic person. That is, he will have a, 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 a great charisma in his personality. He will be a smooth talker. He will be extremely intelligent. He'll be very wise. He will be a mastermind in politics, in economics, in everything. And nobody will be able to be like, hey, no, nobody else has ever lived to be like him. And so they will worship this man. You can either devote the rest of your life to Jesus Christ or you devote the rest of your life to the works of Satan. So yes, behind the lens of atheism is Satanism. Yes, behind the lens of agnosticism is Satanism. Yes, behind the lens of, of Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and every other falsified pseudo-religion out there is Satan at the helm. And I would even argue, even behind evolutionism and humanism and all of those things and secularism is Satan himself and all of mankind is worshiping him. And that brings us to verses 5 and 6. The Antichrist will be used to attack the plans of God. The Antichrist will desire to be worshipped as God, and he will. He will declare himself to be God and demand all to worship him or die, as Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians. But then, in verses 5 and 6, we see a third thought about the Antichrist. This is probably the most extreme part, at least in my mind. And it says the Antichrist, thirdly, the Antichrist will blaspheme the name of God. The Antichrist will blaspheme the name of God. Notice in verse number one, the Bible speaks about blasphemy. And then in verse number five, the Bible speaks about the word blasphemies in, in, in the middle part of the verse. And then in verse number six, the Bible uses the word blasphemy again. Three times in, this, in these 10 verses in our passage today, does John associate blasphemy with the Antichrist and Satan himself? If Satan opposes God and opposes God's word and opposes the Son of God and opposes the plans of God, then of course we know that Satan is going to blaspheme God. You know what the word blaspheme means? It means to speak ill of. It means to speak out against. It means to rail against. You ever sat down at, at, at coffee or, or lunch or dinner with somebody and they they were just so mad. They were just railing against their coworker or their boss because of the way they've been treated. I mean, they were just speaking so much against them that you just felt like you were just dirty. Well, just as we would rail against other people and speak evil and speak out against other people, the Bible says that Satan and the Antichrist are going to be doing that about God about God's place of worship, and about all those who know God as Savior. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, There was given to him a mouth speaking great things. Now, talk about a smooth talker. Talk about a man who could just woo you with his words. Talk about a man having itching or tickling ears, as Paul writes. This man will. And in addition to his smooth speech, he will have these blasphemies. 
in addition to his smooth speech, he will be outspoken against God. The Bible says power again was given to him to continue for 40 and two months. In other words, for the last three and a half years, at this moment, if, if we could just understand here that the seven years of the tribulation period, the three and a half years in, the Antichrist marches into the, to a new temple that will be built to honor the Jewish to the, the, the Jews, and so they'll sacrifice again, and he'll march in there and declare himself to be God and make an end to all the sacrifice and declare everybody to worship him or die. And then this is the last three and a half years. And then verse number six, the Bible speaks about how he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. This is the true God of the universe. And then it says to blaspheme his name. Blasphemy is one of the Ten Commandments all the way back to the day of Moses. Not to take God's name in vain. And then it says, and his tabernacle, that is his place of worship, his body of people on this earth, and then those who dwell in heaven. He's going to be speaking out against God, against God's people, and about all those who have died knowing Jesus. Blasphemy is very serious. And the Bible says that all those who commit blasphemy will be guilty. And so today, as we think about this future leader that will rise to power, this craziest cult leader of them all, one day, because of his utter foolish blasphemy, he will spend all eternity separated from the presence of God in a terrible place the Bible calls the lake of fire. And that brings us to verse 7. What does Revelation 13 teach us about the coming Antichrist? The Antichrist will be used to attack the plans of God in verses 1 and 2. The Antichrist will, de will desire to be worshipped as God in verses 3 and 4. The Antichrist will blaspheme the name of God in verses 5 and 6. And understand that, that the highest name and most lofty name in all the universe is Jesus. But Satan wants his name to be there. And soon, one day... Satan will be given perhaps the lowest of lows, the lowest of lowest places in hell because of his utter refusal to bow to God. But that brings us to verse number seven. It says, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. What does this verse teach us about the Antichrist? Fourthly today, the Antichrist will declare war against the people of God. The Antichrist will declare war against the people of God. Talk about a world war. If you think World War I was bad and World War II was bad, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think the wars that are going on repeatedly in the Middle Eastern area are horrible, if you think the wars that we have witnessed in our lifetime and previous lifetimes, I, I, I'm here to tell you that you could combine all of those battles and it just really won't compare to the slaughter and holocaust that's going to take place in the tribulational period. Where these people that are going to be alive in that day who know Christ, who believe in the one true God of the Bible, the Jews who come to faith in him, apart from the 144,000, we see that many of them are going to come to faith and they are going to be killed for their faith. And here in this moment, the Antichrist and Satan himself are going to declare an all-out war with the people of God. We wrestle not against principalities and powers of this age. We know that 
that, that this, the spiritual battle of warfare that we fight is, is not in this flesh and blood. But in this time period, it's interesting that Satan is going to rev it up. He knows that he's going to have a short time left. And he is going to bring out his fury on this world to all those who will not receive his mark. To all those who will not bow down and declare him to be God and join his assault against the sovereign God of the universe. So, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the craziest cult leader of them all? It's Satan and his tool, the Antichrist. And that brings us to a fifth and final thought today in verses 8, 9, and 10. Fifthly and finally, the Antichrist will not be able to deceive the people of God. The Antichrist will not be able to deceive the people of God. This should bring us all encouragement today that even in the utter turmoil that's going to be going on in the seven years of tribulation, that God's seal and hand is going to be over his people and they will not succumb to the deception of the Antichrist and Satan himself. But the world will. Millions and millions and millions and millions will give in to the deception of the Antichrist. Look at verse number eight. This, one's in, this is an interesting verse. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That is, all the people who don't know Jesus. They are all going to worship the Antichrist. And then it goes on to say, Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If your name is not recorded in the Lamb's book of life, you will not spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And so the Bible says that all of those names who are not found in the book of life in that time period are going to be the ones who are worshiping Satan. And the Bible says here, I love this phrase, that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, it was in the providence of God that, that, that in eternity past, God looked into the future to send his only begotten son on this earth to die a sinner's death so that sinners can have a way to experience the grace and mercy of God. And I am a partaker, you're a partaker of that grace. And we should praise God that, that Jesus was slain. Literally, it means to go to the slaughter and be butchered. He was there on the cross. He hung for our sins and he bled for our sins and he was beaten and he was stabbed and they, they placed those, those, those stakes in his wrist and, and the crown of the thorns was driven into his skull so that we could experience eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. That is the hope of the gospel. And even in this time period, we see that God will still save anybody who will call out to him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then verse number nine, this is interesting. It says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. This is similar, but slightly different to chapters two and three. In chapters two and three, the Bible says, if any man has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So here it just says, if any man have ear, let him hear. And here he is what he wants us to hear. The proverb, John's proverb from verse 10. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. What does this mean? Well, to the best of my understanding, what I think it 
means in this context is that all of those who are living in the tribulational period that are going to go into captivity are going to go into captivity. It's just the sovereign plan of God for that person's life. All those who are going to be murdered by the sword or killed for their faith in that time period, there's nothing they can do to stop it, and they will die a martyr's death. And then this is the word that John was trying to give to these believers. He says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So, so out of all this being said here, we know that this is a future vision that John is receiving. And what does it have to do with you and me? Well, here is what I want you to understand. That God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. These saints in the future are going to have to endure trials that we just can't fully comprehend. The saints that John was specifically writing into the churches of Asia Minor, they were going underneath the persecution of Nero, one of the horrific rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. And there he was killing all these Christians. And there John was on the island of Patmos. And there he was exiled because he was a preacher of the gospel. And now God gives him this vision. And in the middle of this persecution, God gives him this vision of revelation. And then God uses this book to encourage those people then to know that God is in charge and to call them to continue to have faith and to endure. The last couple years, we've had to endure a lot. People say, how's it going at your church? Well, we're enduring. (laughs) By God's grace, we are enduring. How are you doing in your household? Well, we're enduring this season of life. And that's what God has called us to do. That in this weird season where we are either pressed down and crushed in such a way that we will just go crazy and ballistic or we will just say, God, we're going to put it all in your hands and God use this time to strengthen our faith in your word and in you. There's been a lot of debate over the years about the most difficult sport in my mind, it's a toss-up between the marathon and, and the Tour de France. But one article called Sports Show claims that a marathon is the toughest athletic event in the world. If you don't know what a marathon is, it's, it's where you, you run 26.2 miles. Not on a bicycle, not on a, on a machine, but you, you go and you just run 26.2 miles. That's a, that's a long time. According to this, to another article, less than one percent of the population of this world has ever run a marathon. Have any of you ever run twenty six point two miles before? Wow! God bless you guys. Oh well, you survived. God bless you. I've never done that. I, I think nobody else has. So praise God. That's awesome. You are less than one percent of all the world. Amen. Well, I I, I ask that to just emphasize the point that so few people ever will do that. There's a guy by the name of Elihud Kipchog. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But he is one of the greatest marathon runners of our day and throughout all history. Because in October 2019, he ran the first ever recorded sub-two-hour marathon. That's pretty fast. With the help of his rotational pacing crews, he was able to smash the record of two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. But just 
so you know that, that this, is, this, is, this is incredible to even just fathom. His time was one hour, 59 minutes, and 40.2 40. seconds. That is fast. His average speed was 13.16 miles per hour the entire sub two hours of his marathon. And he averaged, this, this just rattled my cage. He averaged four minutes and 35 seconds a mile for 26.2 miles. That's crazy. Can you imagine just running a sub five minute mile? That is crazy enough, but to do it for 26 times? Talk about endurance. Talk about faith. In the context of his, his particular ordeal, he had pacers, and they, he had multiple pacers, and they rotated every so often just to accomplish this task. He, he went to a specific place that was perfect, and he, he had it all planned out. And because of all the assistance, it was not considered officially sanctioned. And he didn't officially break the world record. Because it wasn't in an actual race and because of all of his assistance. I say that to say this. That if this man can run a marathon in less than two hours, then surely God can equip every Christian throughout every generation, throughout every dispensation of time, with the renewed strength and fervor to travel through every tribulation that life brings. So be encouraged today that the same God who made this man to run his race is the same God who made you to run this race called the Christian life. And God commands every Christian to faithfully endure tribulation. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the greatest or craziest cult leader of them all? The answer is Satan and his agent and pawn, the Antichrist. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.